Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts, John the Vernomatic Verno and Metal Forever Mark. Good evening, everybody. I'm the Vernomatic. Welcome to this week's show. It's Thursday night. As always, new content drops. Visit the MetalMayhemROC.com website. There you'll find direct links to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Download some past shows, leave a review. That kind of stuff helps the bottom line in terms of the rankings for the podcast. While you're there, subscribe to the email list. That's a way for us to interact with you. It gets you automatically in the drawing for free uh, merchandise that we give away. A lot of times we get free stuff from publicists or record companies, and we just pass it along to you folks. Tonight we're doing part two of the Andrew Bennett interview, Eruption in the Canyon. Andrew is a filmmaker that had the chance to spend what turned out to be about two years in 2004 and 2006, working with Eddie Van Halen up at his 5150 recording studios, basically just being a fly on the wall, videotaping Eddie working in the studio. And through that period, they he was there when they were doing the reunion with Sammy Hagar back in 2004. And then the eventual addition of Wolfgang Van Halen, Eddie's son, and the return of David Lee Roth for a reunion tour So last week we did part one, and it covered the 2004 era, and we left off when Wolfgang joined the band, which led to the arrival of David Lee Roth and the 2006-2007 tour and all the details involving that. So we're going to do part two. Metal Forever Mark, he's on assignment, my partner in this podcast, we're going to be back next week with an exclusive interview with Vinnie Apice of Black Sabbath. They're releasing the deluxe version of Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules, the Black Sabbath classic albums with Dio. Those are being released in early March, so we caught up with Vinnie. He gave us some insight on what he knew about those releases and just some overall fun anecdotes of Vinnie's career and whatnot. So uh, let's get going. Part two of Andrew Bennett, Eruption in the Canyon. I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. And we'll talk to you next week, folks. Enjoy part two. Hey! Listen up. Now get that popcorn ready and grab a seat. Do it! As the Vernomatic and Metal Forever Mark presents this week's feature interview. Exclusively here on Metal Mayhem ROC. So the 2004 era is over. Where are you professionally? And how do you get involved with Van Halen for a second time in 2006? Uh, so they were done. So, I, you know, they finished that in 04. I left. Um, and I was trying to kind of get my foot in the door with music videos. And 
Glenn Ballard, you know, helped me with that. Like, he connected me with a couple of, you know, lesser known bands. He connected me with this, uh, there's an Italian singer named Elisa, E-L-I-S-A. And in Italy, she's like, I don't know, how do I compare it? She's like the Adele of Italy, like a beautiful voice. And she sells millions of records in Italy. And he introduced me to her and we got along. And so I did a couple of music videos for her. And luckily those videos were successful as far as, you know, being seen and being appreciated. And then that was kind of my foot in the door. I still did some stuff with Deftones um, at the time. And I, I was starting to, I was getting my foot in the door with like record labels and stuff like that. But then in 06, I got another phone call from Ed. And, you know, I, my phone rang. I picked it up. I said, hello. And he goes, Andrew, it's Ed. At this point, I know who it is. <laughs> yeah. said, hey, Ed. He goes, said, hey, Ed. He goes, what are you up to these days? I'm just directing, you know music videos and working my way up he goes all right all right well here's the deal i kicked out that fucking bass player i'm replacing him with my fucking kid and you should be up here documenting this <laughs> it was the <laughs> best pitch i'd ever heard i was like I, how on earth do i not go do i'm sorry you replace michael anthony with a kid who can't drive a car like this is either going to be an amazing train wreck that i get to film or it's going to be a moment of rock and roll history. I get the film. There will be no in between on this. Why the uh, hostility towards uh, Michael Anthony? Is it deep rooted? I, I don't want to. Uh, the thing is, is, like Eddie would tell me things, but I feel like if I say those things publicly, then all of a sudden facts get skewed. Like what Eddie tells me, I don't know if it's fact or not. That's the thing. Because Eddie would tell me things off the cuff when he's emotional, we're having a conversation. Um, so, I mean, I'll tell you what I heard one night, but yet again, I need to preface this with, I do not know if this is true or not. All I can do is tell you what Eddie told me. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to be part of any rumor mills or start anything. So I'll just, basically, Eddie told me that um, when his mother died, uh, Michael Anthony did not call him and he was offended by that. Oh, I've heard that before. So I, but I, I'm so sorry. I got to throw it out there. I have no idea if that's true. Uh, well, and that was Eddie telling me, and that was Eddie telling me something in a emotional moment. So yeah, that, that's been, I've heard that before. So, so you get the call from Ed Andrew. It's Ed. Now it's, 2006 <laughs> what's going on this is the wolfgang roth era well okay so in 06 when i get there there is no talk of david Lee roth there is no talk of a reunion of van halen eddie wants to play music every day that's what he wants to do and a couple of days a week he you know alex would always come up and they would just jam i mean like i like kids in a garage in pasadena they would just jam and that, that was it. That was, there was no plan for anything. It was just Wolfgang. I mean, the first thing Wolfgang had to do was learn the catalog. And my math is pretty close, but I, he learned how to play the bass and the entire Van Halen catalog in roughly two months. It was amazing. That's impressive. Um, so, yeah, so when I got there, it was just, you know, yet again, Ed just wants this documented. This is just going to be another hard drive on the shelf. <laughs> next to the 81 show in between some songs that have never been released. 
another thing for the shelf. And then one day, uh, Wolfgang, they were done with rehearsal and Wolfgang was casually talking to his dad and he goes, Hey dad, you know, it'd be cool if we called, uh, if we called David Lee Roth, see if he wants to get back together, maybe we could go on tour. Ed goes, all right, call him. <laughs> Wolfgang goes, Wolfgang says, well, wouldn't it be better coming from you? And Eddie on his way out the door just yells out, it was your fucking idea, Wolf. <laughs> and so, so Wolfgang and I sat down with like a pen and paper because we were pretty sure he was going to get Dave's voicemail. So we were working on the voicemail he would leave. And so here's Wolfgang with this pen, you know, this 15 year old kid with his pen and pad working out how he's basically going to reunite one of the biggest bands ever. And also trying to get it done before his mom comes to pick him up. So we work, we write this out and we call Dave. Sure enough, we get the voicemail and I will know this voicemail for the rest of my life. It goes like this. Hi, Dave. My name is Wolfgang Van Halen. I'm the new bass player in Van Halen. We've been jamming lately and we're wondering if you might want to jam and maybe go on tour. He says, give me a call or you can call my dad. Bye. And hangs up the phone and just gives this, like, I filmed, I filmed it. And he kind of gives this look to the camera like, all right, well, I did it. I made the call. Let's see what happens. And sure enough, an hour later, Eddie's phone rings. And it's Dave. And he goes, hey, Ed. Hey, man. Got a call from Wolfgang. Says you guys are jamming. Maybe you want to go out. Eddie says, who called you? He says, Wolfgang. Eddie says, and why are you calling me? <laughs> and I hung up. <laughs> so Dave had to call Wolfgang. And he hung, so, up. He, he hung up? Yeah, he just hung up. <laughs> <laughs> why are you calling me? Um, so Dave had to call Wolfgang, and Wolfgang basically explained to Roth what was going on and the ideas. And so, yes, the reunion of Van Halen was navigated by a 15-year-old. <laughs> It wasn't, it wasn't master, it wasn't masterminded by Azoff management. It wasn't masterminded by a promoter. No, just a 15 year old kid with an off the cuff remark one day on a Tuesday afternoon. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hear how Wolfgang's hard work in the return of David Lee Roth. When we return with Andrew Bennett and the eruption in the Canyon. Attention metalheads, we all want to return to concert venues soon. Introducing Metal Mayhem ROC Metal Forever Freedom X Sanitizer. This sanitizer product is water and foam based, manufactured with proprietary HYIQ solution. That's right, no alcohol, but more effective. Manufactured following FDA sanitizer monograph guidelines. It applies smooth without irritating the skin. Safe for all ages. Keep your friends and family safe with Metal Mayhem ROC's own sanitizer. Visit Metal Mayhem MROC.com or MetalForever.com to order your bottles now. Use promo code METAL at the Freedom X checkout store for a show discount. Now, now back to Metal Mayhem ROC. Okay, so we're talking with Andrew Bennett, his new book, Eruption in the Canyon, 212 Days and Nights with the Genius of Eddie Van Halen. Andrew, is there anything else you like to talk about where people could get this or how they could get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, you want to go to eruptioninthecanyon.com, and I hate to have to mention this because it's so boring, but somebody did hijack a PDF file last week and is trying to sell this low-quality bullshit on Amazon. 
but uh, I just got picked up by Simon and Schuster to release the book. So luckily, they're going to go handle that. But for now, just go to eruptioninthecanyon.com. Same kind of easy checkout system. Um, all that stuff. Yeah, and we'll have direct links on the MetalMayhemROC.com website under show notes, and the official link for the book will be there. So, right on. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Yeah, of course. It's 2006. Wolfie calls David Lee Roth. They set the table for a reunion. Where do where does the story go? So I guess the table is set, and I'm assuming that behind the scenes, you know, at this point, Irving Azoff their manager is probably involved talking to Dave sorting that out. But meanwhile, the trio, just Eddie, Alex and Wolfgang are rehearsing two, three days a week and just running a set list of about 18 songs a day. And, you know, <laughs> all amazing. So, I mean, it was usually like hot to teacher on fire atomic punk. Um, and the list kind of goes on for everybody. One song was always fun. Um, so that's what they're doing. They're just, you know, this tour could happen. It couldn't happen. But if it's going to, Ed wants to be ready. He wants Wolfgang comfortable and ready. Um, so that's what started happening was we were filming all these rehearsals all the time. And at this point, because I'm up there so much, we have actually moved my desk and my little edit base station into 5150. Um, so I could continue to, I edit all of my own music videos. So at this point, I'm doing bigger music videos and I'm editing them, but I can't, but I need to be around for rehearsals. So I'm, I'm sitting in one room editing, you know, at that time, like the Jonas Brothers and then going into an, and then going into another room and watching the greatest who's ever played the guitar shred in front of my face and then back to the Jonas Brothers. So going back to these rehearsals, Wolf, was the one that was picking these songs. He went through the catalog. He was making the set list. Were you ever privy to any of these discussions, like Wolfie saying to Ed and Al, you know, let's do this. This song will be cool. Anything like that? No. Um, my take, I, I never saw any of these, like, no band meetings. Like, the set list that Wolf was making, I, I'm sure him and his dad had phone calls, but when they walked into the rehearsal, everything was ready to go. There's a set list on a dry erase board. Uh, an engineer would come in because they're recording every rehearsal so that Eddie can listen to the rehearsals afterwards, mm -hmm. study them, and Wolf Wolfgang can listen and study it. And Wolfgang at that time is, I mean, playing a Van Halen set list. Just, you know, it looked like he'd been doing this for 20 years. And he wasn't even 20. <laughs> he hasn't been around 20 years. Well, well, Andrew, he does have the DNA, man. <laughs> you know, he is a Van Halen. I'm telling you, there is something in that DNA. These guys need to be studied. So this is the first chance you have to get to know Wolf. What was your relationship with Wolfie like? Wolf and I got along great. You know, I, he was only 15, but I was still, you know, in my 20s. So in comparison to the other guys around, we're the younger guys. We spent our time, like, you know, when there's no rehearsals and I'm not editing something. I mean, like kids, man, racing golf carts around the property, uh, practical jokes. I know it sounds cliche. A lot of Guitar Hero. We played a lot of Guitar Hero together. And you want to talk about the DNA, man? 
we're playing one day and Wolfgang just looks at me and he goes, you are really bad at this. And he goes, you know what? Let's play again, man. He goes, I'm just going to play with my feet this time. And I bet you I can beat you. And the kid puts this guitar hero, you know, the guitar controller on the floor and is flicking the switch and hitting the buttons with his feet. And he beat me. Well, so maybe your game is like, really that low, but Hey, you know, you're, you're a filmmaker. You're not a musician. Right. <laughs> I'm definitely not a musician. Um, so I had a lot of fun with Wolfgang, you know, I think, you know, I can't speak for him directly, but at the time, I, I think he was happy to have somebody else there, you know, um, you know, his dad was you know, pretty intense at the time and really focused on this stuff. And, you know, Alex is there for a couple of hours for rehearsal, but then he goes home. And the only other person there is Matt Brock, Eddie's assistant, who lives on the property. But, you know, Matt is way into his work, reading emails and doing all these things. Mm-hmm. So Wolf had somebody to hang out with. And in turn, it was kind of the same thing for me. I had somebody to hang out with. Um, so we just had fun. We just had fun together. What about your relationship with Al? Get to know him at all? or? I had a great relationship with Al. Al is, you should see the smile on my face, man. (laughs) He's just the most like Zen guy. He's intense, but he's got this Zen to him. And he's just funny. Like you, the only time Alex would not smile is like during certain parts of certain songs where he's focused. But even when he was playing drums, he would sometimes like look at my camera and just smile ear to ear like a kid having the greatest time. You know, and then afterwards, you know, he'd hang out for a bit. He'd listen to some stuff. He'd chat with Ed and always in a good mood. And every day that Al left, uh, he would come in and he'd say bye to me, say bye to Matt. And um, he'd go, all right, guys, I'm taking off. We'd be like, all right, Al, see ya. And then we would count to three. And every single time, Al would pop his head back in the room and drop some one-liner of zen on you. And so he's left, and then he, the door pops back open. He goes, hey, Andrew, Andrew. Goes, yeah, Al? He goes, I want you to remember this. To a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And then he would stand there and kind of smile and then go, all right, man, see you Thursday, and then take off. <laughs> That's cool, the wisdom of Al Van Halen. Did you yeah, see- I mean, I write, I write about it in the book. I write about his zen and his wisdom. He, he was an interesting, interesting guy to be around. Through your relationship with Eddie and Alex, did you see any similarities between the brothers, like a little Ed and Al or Al and Ed? Yeah, I mean, they both had this great sense of humor and just would smile and laugh. And while maybe people don't see the intensity of Alex when it comes to the musicianship, Alex wasn't there to mess around. Alex was there to really play, really like make sure he's on his game. Same thing as Ed. They shared that same work ethic. That's why there's never been another Van Halen drummer. Um, and they were goofy. I mean, I remember the first time they were speaking Dutch in front of me. And I was like, I looked at Wolfgang and I go, what, what language is that? He goes, oh, they're speaking Dutch. And I go, oh, he goes, oh, by the way, you should probably know this. Uh, if you're ever around them and they're speaking Dutch, they're making fun of you. <laughs> Did uh, Wolfie know Dutch, if that's the name of the language? I think he knew a little bit. I mean, at this point, I would imagine he really knows it. Yeah. But, um, but yes, and Matt Brock confirmed that too. He goes, oh, yeah, 
if they're around you and they're speaking Dutch, they're making fun of you. What about Valerie? Uh, ever have a chance to meet her? And what, even though she wasn't at the house and this was the divorce era, any interaction with Val? Yeah. I met her, I met her a couple of times like, at a friends and family show. And one time, like in front of the house, when she came to pick up Wolf. And again, I don't like to get into whatever is personal between him and Valerie or what have you. But at the time, she was just dropping Wolfgang off and then she would leave. She didn't really, there was no hanging out. Yeah, there would be no reason to. No, but I mean, at the same time, at the same time, there was never one bad word ever said about Valerie, ever. Like Eddie, like Eddie made it clear that he had like so much love and respect for her. Like it was amazing. So the rehearsals, they're rehearsing these 18 songs. They're getting ready for the tour. What about David Lee Roth? When does Dave come in and what's, what's he all about? This has to be, uh, this has to be good. So eventually the tour, so the tour is going to happen and everybody knows this. So Dave was going to come up. He's not going to come up all the time in rehearse. Like we all knew that. Um, plus 5150 is very, very small. And if we, you know, if they want this tour to happen, it's probably best that, you know, Eddie and Dave or Alex and Dave aren't confined to small spaces for hours a day. But Dave would come up and came up a couple of times uh, to rehearse. You know, really, you know, let's make sure that Dave still got it. Can they all be around each other for two hours and not kill each other? Um, First time Dave came up, he came in in this town car and the town car lined up his back door with the studio door. So he got out of the car, took one step, walked into the studio, and when he left, the car was there. So it was kind of this point of, I'm going to go into the studio and leave. No hanging out. Um, you know, he did that, and, you know, one day he left his microphone behind. And, of course, it's this, like, all silver, you know, microphone with the words David Lee Roth engraved on it. Um, really? I took advantage of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I took advantage of that when he left his microphone. I, I put that microphone in a few different spots around 5150 and took pictures of it. I, there's a shot of like the, the control board and it says like Wolf, Ed, Al. I'm just laying on top of it is David Lee Roth. We're talking with Andrew Bennett. He's the author of the book Eruption in the Canyon, 212 Days and Nights with the Genius of Eddie Van Halen. I got to ask. So the town car pulls up, the door opens. One, does the driver come and open it? And when Dave walks in, is he cool? Is he, you know, right off the set of the Crazy from the Heat video? Is he, you know, is he, is he in character? What is David Lee Roth like? Okay, first of all, David Lee Roth is always in character because it's not a character. It's just who David Lee Roth is. Uh, it's not an act. <laughs> um, the craziness, the, you know, all of that. It's not an act. Uh, no, the driver did not open the door for him. He wasn't, Dave wasn't that, you know, cocky. You know, I wasn't going to offend anybody. Um, and when he came in, uh, he just, like, first person there is Ed and Wolf. And he goes, hey, Ed, what's up, man? And Ed goes, hey, Dave. There's a quick hug. And he looks at Wolfgang and he goes, look at you, man, all grown up. I, he came in with that Dave personality, but everybody expected it too, and it was nice. It was nice to have a little Dave come through there. Um, and then there was a second rehearsal that he was going to come to, but he didn't 
he canceled and nobody really minded. It wasn't a big deal, but it was a good day for me because Ed popped his head in and he goes, Hey, Andrew, Dave's not rehearsing today. Come sing a song. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, just come. You sang with Van Halen? Yeah. He goes, come on, Ed, just do one song. We just need somebody on some vocals real quick. <laughs> so I went in there and I said, well, Ed, you know, I don't really know a lot of the lyrics. He goes, well, what do you know? I said, well, I know Hot for Teacher. And then all of a sudden I just hear, like Alex just starts playing it. And um, and the engineer hands me Ross's microphone and I sing it. I'm not a singer. <laughs> and when I'm done, like Ed's smiling. He's had a lot of fun with this. And I apologize. I said, look, Ed, man, I, I'm not a singer. I know that I, I was not good. So he just goes, well, you're better than Dave. <laughs> and so yeah, that was my day singing with that. But yeah, Ross, didn't, he didn't come up there. I mean, the key was, do they get along? Everything cool? Everybody's cool? Great. Um, but it got to the point where there was a possibility I was going to go document this tour. We weren't real sure, but there was a chance. And so when Dave knew this, he called me. He goes, hey, Andrew, I heard you might be coming on the road. I said, eh, it's a small chance, but maybe. He goes, well, if you're going to do that, man, you need to get to know the image that is Diamond David Lee Roth. <laughs> I was like, well, how do we do that? He goes, come up to my house tomorrow, man. You need to come up here. I'm going to show you some things. He goes, oh, by the way, come hungry. I'm going to have it catered. And so I drove up to his house, which is this giant, I mean, it looks like it's out of a movie. I'm sure movies have probably filmed at this mansion in Pasadena. And I show up and I go into the backyard. There's this big, you know, Olympic-sized swimming pool. And there are three caterers in shirts and bow ties. And they are serving us Triscuits and cheese. That's it. He had literally hired three caterers to serve cheese and crackers. Was he assuming you were going to be filming it? No. <laughs> Yet again, he knew that I wasn't going to be filming this. It, literally, he is that, I say crazy in a good way. I'll yeah. say eclectic. He is that eclectic. Yeah, yeah, cool. He goes, all right. He goes, all right. Man. And then he says, all right, man, I want to show you something. Wait right here. And then he comes back out and he's wearing a kimono. And he's got these big giant flags and a big giant samurai sword. And he goes, I want to show you something. And then he puts on everybody wants some. And he just starts doing this entire flag and sword routine. And when he's done, he comes over to me and he goes, do you see what I'm telling you about the image that is Diamond David Lee Roth? And I did not, but I just said, yeah, man, I get it. He goes, cool, man, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go rent out the LA Forum for a day. And I want you to put together a crew. I want 35 millimeter film. I want the best cinematographer. And I'm going to do this routine on stage with the swords and the flag. And when we go on tour, it's going to play during the opening to everybody wants some. I said, all right. I go, what's the, I go, what's your budget, Dave? He goes, man, spend what you got to spend. And so we did. We rented out the forum. We brought in a film crew and Dave did his whole sword and flag routine. And we filmed it, cut it together. And you know, before I went and did that, I obviously asked Eddie, you know, like, are you cool with this? Um, and he goes, yeah, yeah, I don't give a shit. Goes, What's he doing? And I explained the swords, <laughs> the flags, and everybody, and everybody wants some. He goes, oh, shit, yeah. He goes, go film that. We're never going to fucking use it. 
<laughs> did you use it? I mean, I have it like, you know, it's like part of my work, like my body of work. I just, I had to use it, man. It's awesome. <laughs> um, no, I don't recall. But no, they. Yeah, I don't recall that. And he did his little flag and, um, you know, sword bit, but I don't think it was during Everybody Wants Some. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't think he took it to the extent that he took it during the shoot. The shoot, it was like a serious routine he had put together. And it was, you know, he meant for it to be kind of dramatic. And he was intense. It wasn't, there were no like David Lee Roth smiles in what he did. He was like this intense guy with swords and flags. Yeah, Dave's a piece of work. You know, he's always, uh, he's always been like that. Now, in 2006, uh, I got a couple tid- uh, tidbits here. Did Were you involved or tape anything remotely, like the uh, Kenny Chesney performance when Alan Ed joined Chesney to do uh, a couple songs? Did you ever do anything with that? No, I mean, the only time we shot anything outside of 5150 was when he was doing the original replica. And, you know, designers are still trying to get it right, and nobody could figure it out. and you know, finally Ed found his guy and we ended up doing kind of a 12 minute long promotional piece about it. And, um, and we went down to the Fender factory and we filmed some stuff there. Um, uh, one of the heads, I think the head of Fender did a little sit down interview with Eddie on a sound stage we rented for a day. Um, that's the closest we ever came to filming anything outside of there. Um, I, he did play a party at a flower shop one night in the back courtyard of a flower shop that a friend of his owned. He came and played guitar for some little private session. Um, and that's the closest I ever came to filming him outside of 5150 playing a guitar. Was that the House of Petals performance that you're talking about? That was. That was, yeah. It was, you know, not his best era and this and that, but that's also why I believe I have trashed that footage. <laughs> so when so the second the second era, if you will, of you recording at fifty one fifty, it commences before the tour. You mentioned that there was a possibility of you going on tour and documenting that. Uh, why did that fall through? Well, I, you know, I, Ed had approached me about just compensation and things like that. You know, I'd been there for a long time. We had never talked about money. We just never talked about money. I, I, you know, I was doing well for myself at the time, directing videos for like the Jonas Brothers and Nickelback. Um, So it was just never discussed. And he approached me one day and he said, yeah, man, we need to talk about this. You know, nobody's ever taken care of you. But at this point, what I said to him was, you know, I, I obviously I appreciate the, that gesture. I said, but at this point, my goal is to document the tour, not necessarily just, you know, get my paycheck and leave. Um, and he said, all right, well, you know, in order for that to happen, everybody in the Van Halen camp has to agree on something, right? I said, yeah. And he goes, and you know the odds of that happening? And I said, yeah. He was basically saying, you're probably not going to document this tour. Like, at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure Irving Azoff wasn't eager to have a camera crew following his band. 
everybody was a little on edge. Like, how is this going to go? Like, are they going to get along? Is Ed going to be okay? Is Wolfgang going to be able to actually, you know, it's one thing to be at rehearsal. It's another thing to play out, play a sold out Madison Square Garden. Oh, um, sure. I mean, Christ, that's, it's intimidating. Uh, a couple tidbits. Um, ever any mention about any sessions with Mitch Malloy singing? No, that never came up. Um, it was basically Dave from the get-go. I think, you know, at that point, I don't think Ed was, you know, too much in love with Sammy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then, you know, and his son, I, you know, Wolfgang joining the band. I, I can't speak for Ed. I think probably one of <laughs> top moments of his life. Um, and so there was really no idea of a tour or a singer or anything like that until, you know, that one day when this 15 year old kid came up with this idea. Why ever no website activity or no press? Was that ever shared through um, your conversation with Eddie? Like at that point, everyone's doing, you know, social media was very infant stages, but at least websites and, but Van Halen never really did any of that. Any idea why? Because they don't care. <laughs> That's the most blunt way I put that sometimes. They just don't care. To Eddie and Alex, anything outside of the music is for other people to be concerned about. Like, they don't, you know, I, I don't know. Like, Eddie's just not one of those guys to be like, we should have a Facebook page. And we should share updates with people. And we should tell people what's going on. Like Ed would, Ed, I never saw Ed use a computer at that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and especially with social media being infantile, it was probably something Wolfgang would have done if it had been years later. But at the same time, you know, these guys are really private. So as far as rehearsals, you know, even if Facebook had been around for a long time and Instagram and all that stuff, Eddie still would have like posted, you know, here's us playing hot for teacher today. He would have never done that. No. Uh, so. What about some of uh, Eddie's uh, physicalities? Um, arthritis in his hands, the hip surgery. How was he physically? He was, you know, he was thin and lean. Did he ever... <laughs> exercise or anything um the hip was always in good shape when i was there um the hands certain days or like after a few songs where he would shake his hand like oh fuck and kind of shake it like it's in a little pain yeah but you know it's also this time where i'm not, i'm now getting to see eddie play all these hits and see what his fingers have to do on a fretboard to create this music and to this day, I don't understand how the human hand works like that. So <laughs> I'm like, I put that out there to every guitar player. I don't know how you guys do this. So, but he's also one to not complain. He's one of those like play through the pain kind of guys. You know, he's, you know, like a quarterback who just got a helmet to helmet contact and laid back 15 yards and just gets right back up, keeps going. Oh, mu- muscle uh, memory and doing it thousands and thousands, if not millions of times. There was an old story well, yeah, that when he was younger in his, um, you know, when he was teenager, very young, he used to do push-ups just on his fingers to strengthen up his hands and the size of his hands. He's just so, so thick, those hands. It's, it's he's so strong. Yeah. 
That makes sense to me because I mean, there's some shots in the book and, you know, I have all these other photos and his fingers like, yeah, that's interesting. I had never heard that. Now it's like making sense to me. His fingers looked like they had muscles in them. (laughs) I know he's a little guy, but if you really look at his hands, they're like Neanderthal hands. They're just so beefy and defined and strong. Like when he makes a fist, it's like. Yeah, man, his hand looks like his fingers look like they go to the gym. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so you wrap everything up. You don't do the tour. Unfortunately, you had a little problem with the payment. Can you can you want to touch on that at all or just briefly skim over it? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll touch on it just because, you know, people ask. And well, because I, because I, I introduced this because since the last couple of years when this book started, coming out and there's been some struggle, some misconception. You sort of had a bad reputation because people almost were thinking that you're taking advantage of the situation. Not my words, but um, that's part of the reason why I want to have you on here is you're one of the good guys. You're not here capitalizing on, unfortunately, the passing of Eddie. You're just here to tell you. You're just here to tell your story. And uh, I hate to have you perceived as, taken advantage of of this because if anything you're you're sharing this story with the van halen fans around the world and it's andrew it's truly appreciated because this is one of a kind so exactly what happened on the back end of this whole eruption in the canyon saga for you um i mean basically you know in the end they were getting ready to go on tour and, you know, we had made this deal, basically, if I don't go on tour, you pay me for my time. It was a simple deal, handshake, you know, lawyers or any of that shit. Um, and, you know, then they went off and went on tour and uh, I never heard from anybody. <laughs> you know, that was kind of it. Just never heard from anybody. You know, I reached out to, I reached out to Matt Brock, his assistant, you know, I would touch base like once a year, twice a year, maybe, and just a nice email. Um, but, you know, I never heard anything back. Nobody ever said anything or anything. But to me, I wasn't sitting at home like jaded and bitter and cursing somebody's name. Like I've been around musicians a lot at this point, and especially after the years I left there. I've always taken it as, oh, that's rock and roll, man. Sometimes shit happens. You know, my love, my respect, my my admiration for Eddie never changed. And, you know, um, and the book, I started writing this book ooh, three years ago. So, you know, the book wasn't about, I mean, the book came out before Ed's passing, but in no way was it meant to like capitalize off his passing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I have nothing but love and respect for Ed and within the book, you know, I, I mean, I've been approached over the years many, many times about writing a book. Like, you know, you have that experience with somebody of that stature and people come out of the woodwork and publishers and this and that. And but everybody's pitch to me or everybody's idea was to write some kind of tell all book, you know, spill all the gossip or, you know, get into Ed's deep personal life. And one is just like, that's just not the kind of person I am. Like, I just wouldn't do that to anybody. Like, you know, I got Katy Perry stories for days, <laughs> but it's, I don't know. It just wasn't my style. And 
you know, the bottom line was always that Ed deserves more respect than what you guys are pitching me. You know, I, you guys are, you guys are pitching me like I'm writing a book, like, you know, like you want me to dish and, t- and tell all on, you know, Katy Perry. Well, that's fine. Like, I'm not going to do that book, but somebody I'm sure someday will release some book about Katy Perry and stories and this and that. Well, that's fine. Katy Perry's a pop star. You know, Katy Perry's career is there, then it'll be gone. You know, 50 years from now, nobody will be talking about Katy Perry. No disrespect, but they won't. People will be talking about Eddie Van Halen in 200 years. The man is, the man is more than a rock star. The man is a legend. I mean, for the love of God, Fred Durst is a rock star. You're going to put them under the same label? Like, he's just, he's a legend, and he deserves more respect than that than somebody to go write some tell-all book about what? About a guy that I was around for one year? You know, these people want me to what? Write some dishy tell-all about one year of a man's life? I mean, that's fucked up, (laughs) you know, to do to anybody. (laughs) So so I always turned down all of those offers. I just wasn't into it. And, you know, and eventually I kind of came up with the idea in my own head, which was, if I were going to write a book, the way I would do it is pick like 30 of the best stories, like one to two pages, like the same stories that I've been telling my friends over the years when they asked about my experience. And, you know, there's entertaining, you know, I want to keep it entertaining and interesting. You know, there's this whole eclectic side to Ed and funny stories, but I really wanted to drive home like his work ethic and what a musician he is, and also what a good person he is. So this is the opposite of what I think anybody would write who's been in my experience. Well, Andrew, that's a great segue into a show segment we, we like to call here the Mount Rushmore of Metal. Many have tried, most have failed, only a few survived. This is the Mount Rushmore of Metal. The question to you, Andrew Bennett, of eruption in the canyon give me four mount rushmore moments that you had spending the time with eddie van halen in his studio can i do them in no particular order (laughs) sure there are no rules we just need four and we'll take more but just share some of your uh mount rushmore moments number one in my mount rushmore moments is kind of the same moments that happened numerous times, which was late at night, me working there and Ed coming up to the studio while I'm up there and just sitting down with me. And he would talk a bit about his life and what's going on, how he's handling this and that. But Ed always saying, so Andrew, what's going on with you, man? What's going on with you? And he just genuinely wanted to know at midnight, how are you feeling, man? How are things going in your career? And that was always the big one to me was that the man would come and ask me how I'm doing. Um, let's see the other Mount Rushmore moment at 5150. The occasional days where him and Alex would get in a fight. And the first time I saw them get in a fight, I had never seen two brothers scream at each other like that. And I made the mistake of being in their eye line. And Alex just yells out and goes, Andrew, come here, man. Tell Eddie he's being ridiculous. And I was like, I don't want to get in the middle of this. This does not seem like something I should be in the middle of. And so I just kind of was like, no, man, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And I walked away. 
And then Matt Brock pulled me to the side. He goes, well, Andrew, it looks like you're going to be here for a while. So I guess I have to explain this to you. When the brothers get in a fight, it is called DEFCON. Here's what's going to happen from now on. If I see them getting in a fight, I'm going to text you DEFCON. If you get DEFCON, I need you to grab whatever you got, your phone, your laptop, what have you. need you to go up into the canyon where they can't see you. And when it's done, I'll let you know. And so about a half a dozen times, I'd be sitting at my desk and all of a sudden my phone would buzz and it would say DEFCON. And I would grab my things and go sit up in the canyon for like half an hour while they screamed and yelled at each other. And then Alex would eventually leave and I could come out of the canyon. And then 48 hours after this brutal screaming match, it's not even mentioned. Al comes to rehearsal, it's all hugs and smiles. Would it, would it uh, uh, turn into they're talking Dutch? Oh, no. When they screamed at each other during DEF CON, it was pure English. Okay. I, I, could hear, I could hear everything they were saying to each other. Um, no, the Dutch is like, I think at one point, him and Alex were standing there watching me edit a video. And I think they were talking shit about like me working with this artist or talking shit about this band. And it was all in Dutch. So anytime it was Dutch, it was humor. Yeah. Um, or it was just something extremely private they didn't want you to hear. Um, but no, when they argued with each other, oh no, they were fine with doing that in English. A lot of the main the main lines you heard were "fuck you, Ed, fuck you, Al." What would Alex and Eddie Van Halen argue about? Just stupid stuff or just it didn't even matter. You just got the DEFCOM and you're out of there. I just got the DEFCON and I was out of there. So Andrew's going to share a metal confession. It's a, let's rename it an EVH confession of a situation or a occurrence while he spent 212 days in the 5150 studios. So Andrew, uh, share an EVH confession with us. Uh, I think, the, I think the one we, the one that's fun to share is, um, I was at this, I don't know, some coffee shop in LA one day and I saw Fred Durst and, you know, I'm still, you know, kind of an up and coming music video director and, you know, no disrespect to Limp Bizkit, not a huge fan. Um, so I wasn't, but I wanted to approach him because at the time he had a heavy hand at Interscope and videos getting made. He was becoming a little more of a label guy at that point. And so I called my friend Chino from Deftones. I said, hey, Fred Durst is here. They're good friends. And I said, should I approach him? And he goes, yeah, yeah, just, you know, tell him you're on the phone with me. It'll be an icebreaker. So I approached Fred and I said, hey, man, I'm Andrew Bennett. I did this and this for Deftones. I was just talking to Chino, blah, blah, blah. Um, Fred Durst knew one of my Deftones videos. And then he followed it up with, he goes, so what are you working on now? And I said, well, it's a little hard to explain. Um, I said, I'm filming Eddie Van Halen kind of day in and day out up at 5150. He goes, oh, yeah? He goes, that's cool, man. Eddie jammed with us once. Tell him I said hi. And then the dude just walked away. Like, that's some normal shit to tell a person. Yeah, no. <laughs> he just walked away. And I got back up to the studio, and I saw Eddie, and I was like, hey, Ed, let me ask you a question, man. 
said, uh, I ran into Fred Durst. He goes, oh, yeah? He told you I jammed with him, huh? And I said, that's exactly what he told me. He goes, that's true. I go, is that true? He goes, yeah, that's true. And he looks at me and he goes, wait a minute. Is that all he told you? I said, yeah. He goes, figures he wouldn't tell you the rest. I said, what's the rest? He says, yeah, well, we met at this party and, you know, he said something about they were looking for a new guitar player. I made some fucking joke that I would jam with them. And so, you know, I went over there and I brought all my own gear. Um, and, you know, I was jamming with them for like, I don't know, maybe half an hour. And I said, what was that like? He goes, Andrew, <laughs> it was like being a scholar amongst kindergartners. <laughs> and he goes, but somebody in that crew started smoking weed. Eddie hates weed, hated it, associates it with laziness, does not want it around him, period. Like, oh, I, I thought I mean, you're talking in Eddie's voice that Eddie was in third person, but you're just commenting Eddie hates weed. Yeah, yeah I'm just side noting that oh, okay. uh, Eddie Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen did not care for marijuana being anywhere near his professional environment. Okay, go ahead. And so he goes, he, he says, so Andrew, they started smoking weed. I felt like I was getting this contact high. So I just left. He said that when he left, that he forgot all of his gear. He didn't take it with him. And so, sorry, I'll switch back and forth from giving the facts to Eddie's voice. He goes, so I called that motherfucker three times, Andrew. I called him three times, telling him I want want my gear back. And he never called me back. So... I went to get that shit myself. And I said, Ed, what, what did you do? He goes, well, I got in the Hummer. I drove over to that fucking house where they all play at. They have some rehearsal house they play in. He goes, I parked the fucking Hummer on the front lawn. I went to the front door and I started banging on it. And Fred Durst answered the door and I pulled out a gun. I put it to that stupid fucking red hat of his. And I said, where's my shit, motherfucker? And Fred turns around. He starts barking orders at his crew to go get my stuff. So I pressed that gun a little harder, Andrew, and I reminded him. I didn't call those guys. I called you. You get my shit. And I said, what happened after that? He goes, well, I stood on the front lawn, smoked a cigarette, and watched that motherfucker carry my shit and pack my car. (laughs) (laughs) And... To Fred Durst's credit, uh, that that story got told somewhere, and then somebody asked, like somebody went to Fred Durst and said, you know, Andrew Bennett told the story. Is this story true? And to Fred Durst's credit, he did not deny it. He said, nope, that's exactly how it happened. Well, well I guess give him credit for that to own it up for it. If you were to tie this up with a bow that you could take from this experience, and I'm sure you could go on another couple hours, but you know, what, what do you get out of this that you want to let the listeners of metal mayhem ROC and abroad? Uh, no. Um, I mean, I probably just kept repeating it in our, in our chat here, but it's the work ethic. It's the attention to detail. It's the never settling, It's setting the bar high on yourself. And, you know, I was a young director at that point. And I've just, I've applied what I learned from Eddie, from what he would tell me to what I just watched to every single project I've done. Like, it didn't matter if it was a low budget music video for a band that I can't 
stand. <laughs> you know, this is my job. I'm going to put everything into this. I have to stay up for 30 hours. So be it. Um, you know, if somebody says that's good enough, I will probably fire them. Um, just holding that bar really high, man. And not for any like egotistical reasons, just because you're an artist this is what you do. And this is how much you have to put into it. And that's a lot of what I took from him that, and he taught me to kind of like keep your circle tight that you don't need 50 people around you. You need like three core people that you can always trust. And yeah, you know, he taught me about life, man. <laughs> Again, the book eruption in the Canyon, 212 days and nights in the genius with the genius of Eddie Van Halen. Andrew, thank you for uh, spending the afternoon with us. We appreciate it. And excellent work, sir. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Uh, I'm going to remind everybody one more time. Sorry to kill the mood here. Please just buy it from the website until further notice. Somebody's trying to sell a low-quality bootleg on Amazon. Visit the MetalMayhemROC.com website, and we have the official direct link. Andrew, enjoy the rest of the weekend or week, and uh, take care, bud. Man, I love talking to you, dude. This is so cool. All right. Stay in touch. Thanks, buddy. All right, man. Absolutely. Later. Metal for Life. Thanks for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our websites at MetalMayhemROC.com and MetalForever.com for information on upcoming concerts, podcasts, archives, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. Catch us next time on WLFE TV Radio. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.